What's the best-selling drug of all time? That should be easy for you, Pulse listeners. It's Humira. After 20 years and $200 billion in revenue, Humira has lost its monopoly. Early Tuesday morning, biotech firm Amgen released Amgevita, the first close copy of the drug. At least seven more Humira biosimilars are expected to debut later this year. This is Pulse Check. I'm Erin Shoemaker. With an aim to avoid the failures of the COVID-19 pandemic, the World Health Organization released a draft agreement on Wednesday, bolstering preparedness for the next major disease outbreak. Politico's Carmen Pon obtained the draft agreement, which lays out mechanisms to boost information sharing among countries and to distribute vaccines more equitably. The proposal would require countries to allow WHO rapid response teams to enter their territories so they can evaluate and support efforts to combat outbreaks. The troubled rollout of a new electronic health record system at the Veterans Health Administration could go on pause if Congress passes new legislation by Republican Representative Mike Bost, chair of the House Veterans Affairs Committee. Bost's bill would bar the VA from rolling out the system at any more of its medical centers until it demonstrates significant improvement. The huge project began in 2018 with an estimated cost of $10 billion over 10 years, but it has since ballooned to more than $50 billion over 28 years, according to a recent estimate from the Institute for Defense Analyses that the VA commissioned. And as of Wednesday, states can start reevaluating whether the millions of Americans who have remained covered by Medicaid during the pandemic are still eligible for those health insurance benefits. Megan Messerly has been following this closely. Thanks so much for having me. So Medicaid redeterminations are starting this month in some states. Excuse my ignorance, but what exactly is Medicaid redetermination and and why should we care about it? Yeah, it's a really good question. So this dates all the way back to March 2020 in the early days of the pandemic. Congress, as part of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, passed this provision saying, you know, hey, states, We will give you additional federal dollars if you agree to keep everyone who is currently covered by Medicaid covered through the duration of the pandemic. And so this was tied to the federal public health emergency. So, you know, since March 2020, state Medicaid rolls have only grown. I mean, typically what happens with Medicaid is you have, um, you know, people having their eligibility redetermined every month. You have kind of this month to month churn on state Medicaid rolls, right? New people become eligible, they sign up. Um, People, you know, because of income or maybe they're covered under Medicaid because they're pregnant or postpartum person, you know, Medicaid goes through every month and says, hey, you know, you were covered for this time, but you're no longer eligible and it removes them from their Medicaid rolls. This process has essentially not existed for all intents and purposes during the pandemic. So Medicaid rolls have continued to grow and grow and grow throughout the pandemic because the public health emergency was ongoing. So at the end of last year, Congress, as part of its year-end omnibus spending bill, they actually decided to decouple this Medicaid continuous coverage requirement from the ongoing public health emergency. So this basically set the process for states in motion. States for some time, essentially throughout all of last year, had been wondering, when is this continuous coverage requirement going to end? When are we going to have to actually start this work? The challenge was because the PAG is ext- was extended in 90-day increments. States were essentially waiting like every 90 days. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And so what states really wanted was certainty. So by and large, state Medicaid agencies were, were pretty happy that Congress set a date certain 
in that year-end spending bill um, and essentially putting the current timeline into motion. So where we're at right now, starting February 1st, states can actually now start the work of redetermination. That's, you know, sending out renewal packets and actually putting this process into motion, but they can't actually start kicking people off their Medicaid rolls until April 1st. Interesting. So I'd imagine that states are handling this differently. Are you seeing any trends among states? Yeah. I mean, when I talk to state health officials, you know, it's like if you've seen one state, you've seen one state, there's 50 of them and they all like doing uh, entirely different things. But yes, there are some trends. And the big one we've seen, um, and, and this is really generalizing here, is a split between how red states and blue states are handling this. In red states, uh, and I should mention last December when there was, you know, talk about decoupling this continuous coverage requirement from the public health emergency, 25 Republican governors actually sent a letter to the Biden administration saying, you know, please end the public health emergency. We're being crushed by this Medicaid continuous coverage requirement. Our budgets simply can't afford to pay for all these people to stay covered when they, you know, are no longer eligible for Medicaid. So they were asking him to end the public health emergency, but that they sort of got um, what they wanted in the form of the continuous coverage requirement being separated from the public health emergency. So where that leaves us now is that there are a lot of red states that are really interested in moving through this process as quickly as possible. They're motivated by, you know, budgetary concerns. You know, a lot of Republicans, we've seen a lot of rhetoric around we shouldn't be paying, we shouldn't be spending millions of dollars to provide Medicaid coverage to people who are ineligible and have coverage maybe through their employers or have uh, planned through their state's health insurance exchange. You know, we're essentially just throwing away this money on these people. So they want to move through the process as quickly as possible. And there are some states that are starting that work this month, you know, as soon as they can. So Arkansas is one of those that is starting its work in February with the goal of starting to send, uh, starting to terminate coverage in April. Now, on the flip side, you have a lot of blue states who are looking at this and saying, you know, yes, we don't want to be providing Medicaid coverage for people who don't need it and have coverage through another way. But a lot of them have been really concerned about people falling through the cracks in this process. And that's people who are still eligible for Medicaid because of income or another criteria that makes them eligible for the program, but they they simply don't receive their renewal packet. Maybe they've moved. Maybe they're not checking their mail. Maybe they're missing the calls. Like Some of these populations are really, really hard to reach. And so a lot of blue states have been particularly concerned about moving too quickly through the process and having these folks fall through the cracks. So that's why a lot of them actually aren't even starting this redetermination process until April 1st. And they're planning to take the full you know, year plus that the Biden administration has allotted for this in order to move through the process you know, as slowly and methodically as possible. So you see the sort of bifurcation in approaches of, on the one hand, if you move quickly, you can save money, you can remove people who probably don't need this coverage anyways. But if you move too fast, you know, yes, it's going to be more expensive, but hopefully you can catch some of these people who might have otherwise fallen through the cracks. So this seems to me like a policy story that could have a real effect on people's lives. What are the advocates who work with people on Medicaid saying? Yeah, you know, I've been talking to people for the last, you know, year plus now about this, and they're nervous. On one hand, they say they're glad that states have had this time to 
prepare for the beginning of this process. You know, a lot of states have really taken the last 12 or so months to shore up some of their, you know, technology, just sort of the underlying systems infrastructure behind their Medicaid systems. You know, some have hired more eligibility workers. So advocates say, you know, some states have really spent their time wisely getting ready for this process. But at the same time, even for the best prepared states, this is a a monumental task. You know, a lot of eligibility workers have been hired since the beginning of the pandemic. They've never gone through a redetermination process before. A lot of people have moved since the beginning of the pandemic. So there's just like a lot of underlying structural problems that state Medicaid agencies, you know, again, even with the best of intentions, could run into these serious problems just because of how complicated the Medicaid infrastructure is in in even like the most organized states. So that's the big thing I'm hearing from advocates is they're just broadly concerned that this is a heavy lift for states, you know, no matter how much work they've put into preparing for this over the last 12 months. Well, thanks so much for talking with me today. I learned a lot. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese is our producer. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Erin Shoemaker. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.